0: good morning. This morning we'll continue through our series through the book of Ecclesiastes. I would invite you to open up your Bibles to chapter 3 of the book of Ecclesiastes, and we will be considering verses 16 to 22. It will take us to the end of the chapter. Ecclesiastes. Chapter 3, verses 16 to 22. Hear God's holy, infallible word. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better and that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that you grant us to hear from your word. Father, we pray that you would make this time fruitful in our lives. It would be foolish to think that it is through the power of the task of just simple preaching that things can happen in the life of the church the task itself doesn't have the power but your spirit gives this task the power so this morning we rely utterly and totally on your spirit to speak to our lives convict us and bring this word to life into our very being, cause us to hear your voice and heed the admonition that you give to us. Father, we pray, we beg this morning that you would open our eyes to see clearly that we may behold your beauty and your glory as your word is expounded to the praise of your glory and grace. We pray this through Christ, our intercessor, amen. When you're assessing tapestry, one of the, I'm no expert in this, but one of the first things, at least, that you would want to do is to make sure you're looking at the right side. Why? Because it depends on what side of the tapestry you're looking at. You'll assess if the tapestry is beautiful or not. If you're looking at it from the top, from the proper perspective, you will see the beautiful patterns and the elegant designs. But if you're looking at the tapestry from beneath, you'll see the jagged edges and the threads and the yarn going every which direction. Your perception changes depending on the angle from which you see it. This morning, we're gonna be dealing with a sense of perception. The perception is from the vantage point of the preacher. But the preacher isn't speaking as though he were an alien or someone that didn't live our experiences. The preacher is speaking from someone who has lived long on this earth. He will be speaking your language and playing your tune. In other words, you're going to be picking up what he is laying down because he is speaking as a mere mortal. He understands the difficulties of life so much so that he can express them eloquently and for our advantage. The theme that is predominant, especially in chapters 3 and 4, but here in our verses, is the theme of sight. If you notice in chapter 3, verse 10, verse 12, and 14, we read the phrases, I have seen and I perceived. In verses 16 and 22, we see the phrase, I saw. And in verse 18, we read the phrase, that they, that is mankind, may see. There is this idea of perception. And what the preacher saw troubled him. And it will also trouble you during this very momentary life. It is important to observe what he saw, but it's also important to observe his conclusions We must remember that the preacher is addressing philosophical questions. The preacher has taken the time to ask about the deep questions of life. You can almost smell the earthiness of this book. The preacher has been around the block a couple times, and he knows how to ask the same questions that you ask. He might not ask them the same way, He might not express them how you and I express them. When we're challenged with philosophical questions, we don't jump into poetry as he did in the first eight verses of chapter three, but he is asking the same questions that you and I encounter on the day-to-day basis. So as we read and study this book, the question that we must answer, what is the preacher? talking about? What is the question that's nagging him? What is, what is he trying to address? This morning, the preacher is helping us to have a proper perspective without minimizing what we observe in our lives. Yes, life is hard, and the preacher doesn't minimize that. Yet, as we read his questions and conclusions, we gain a bigger and better perspective about us and more importantly, about God. So how will the preacher help us this morning, help us find joy in the dark and miserable world that we live in? How is he going to help us have a proper perspective? I think implicitly he's going to tell us this. This is what the preacher is going to tell us. Rest on God's providence. Rest on God's providence. And I think he's going to do this by giving us three reasons how we can do that. How can we rest on God's providence? One, we believe justice will prevail. Two, we have a, we have a proper view of ourselves and God. And third, we enjoy our life now and the one that is to come. So the first point, we rest on God's providence because we believe justice will prevail. This morning, we're again confronted once again with the difficulty in this life. The question that the preacher wants to address in the verses that we have read is this, what about justice? Uh, There's a time to be born and a time to die. But what about justice? This life is filled with so many things. But what about justice? When is it time for justice? Look at verse 16. Moreover, I saw, I perceived, this is the first perception we see, under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. But before we can move forward, we have to pause and define our words. And I think that's important because justice has become the buzzword of the last several years. We have social justice. We have distributive justice, restorative justice, environmental justice, and so on and so forth. This morning, my intent is to define justice in the simple terms that the Bible uses to define justice. So what is justice and what does it mean to be just? Justice is acting in accordance to God's righteous commands. We get a glimpse of this in 2 Chronicles 19 when the king Jehoshaphat tells his judges, consider what you do, for you judge not for man but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord, our God, or partiality or taking bribes. Justice in God's terms is doing according to what he has commanded, without taking bribes and without diminishing truth. God is the one who establishes justice. He is our creator, and because he is our creator, he, and because he is just, he is the one who establishes justice. God determines what is just because he is just. So what does it mean? Doing justice or living out in a, living justly then implies fairness, decency, and honesty seeking to help the weak and give to the needy as we are able, addressing situations of injustice. Injustice, on the other hand, is to fail to comply with a conform or conform oneself to the law of God and disregard our neighbor. That is injustice. So, what the preacher is saying, that when he looked around the world, this is what he saw, where there was supposed to be decency, fairness, right dealings. What he saw was injustice. He saw partiality, deceit, and bribery. And that is troublesome. And that is what the preacher found to be difficult to see this world and where justice was supposed to be established and determined and put forth in that very place you found briberies lies and deceit and self-serving have you ever felt like the preacher Have you ever been nauseated by injustice? I'm sure you have encountered injustice in your own life. This is the preacher's tension. Our lives are already brief. They're already momentary. There's not a lot of time that we are on this earth. 70, the most 80 years that we have. Yet, Injustice abounds. The prophets of old cried against this injustice. Jeremiah says, uh, God tell Jeremiah, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Seek and look and take note. Search her squares to find a man who would do justice. And Jeremiah found no one. One commentator put it this way, throughout the world, Courts of law typically contain representation, often a sculpture of Lady Justitia. Blindfolded, she holds balanced scales in her right hand and a large sword in her left. The blindfold represents impartiality. She judges everyone without passion or prejudice. The scales fairness and the sword swift and final justice. But in Ecclesiastes, the blindfold is off, the scales are off balance, and the sword is stolen. And not only in Ecclesiastes, in our lives as well. We see injustice. This past week, a Christian college lost a court battle. They had sued the Biden administration in April, arguing a federal directive that requires biological males to be permitted where females are housed in their dormitories. The place that was supposed to see the potential risk for the female students disregarded what was right. For more than seven years, Jack Phillips, a Christian baker, has been fighting to just bake cakes for his clients, But the people who are called to uphold justice are the very people who are crusading against him, trying to revoke his ability to make a living. Last September, a Pakistani Christian, Asif Parvaez, was sentenced to death after he was convicted of sending text messages with blasphemous content allegations which he denies, but because he's a Christian, he can't escape the injustice of his system. Several months ago, a pastor in New York resigned from his position because he had an affair. The person who was called to protect the flock was fleecing the flock. In the place of righteousness, in the place of justice, The preacher found wickedness. And so do we. You have probably been the object of such injustice. Maybe in your home, favoritism was demonstrated towards other siblings. Your father or your mother neglected you. Maybe you were abused by someone who was called to care for you. Maybe someone charged to protect you betrayed your trust. In the place where protection was to be had, abuse happened. Maybe it was in a church where you were treated unfairly. Maybe you were part of a church where the leader abused his power. In the place of righteousness, there was wickedness. Maybe you have felt the wrath of hatred because you're a Christian and with your convictions in the workplace, People don't seem to get along with you. Or maybe you were treated wrongly, fired for no reasonable excuse. The preacher sees what you see. He sees the injustice. He observes it, and he knows that it's rampant in this world, and he sees it exactly where it should not be, Well, what is his conclusion? Look, verse 17. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. The preacher is saying that injustice will be dealt with. I remember when I was young, I would often hear my mother have conversations. By the volume of her voice, she would think she was talking with someone. But when you would come into the same room as her, she was alone. Now, that was weird to me. It was like, oh, you're you're by yourself. It was weird only up until... Yep, you guessed it. I was doing the same exact thing. I realized that the best way to have a one-to-one conversation, solid conversation, is just to speak out loud and to yourself. I don't know exactly if the preacher was doing this per se, but he was speaking to himself and he made a confession Echoing the words of verse 1 of this chapter, the preacher says, I believe that there will be a time for God's justice to be manifested. Speaking on the justice of God, one theologian says, the justice of God is the justice of one who both knows all things and has the power to do all things. So that it is impossible that we should conceal from him our offenses or escape from the execution of his sentence. God is possessed of both infinitely complete knowledge of every detail of our lives and of the most absolute power to enforce his verdicts. God has the ability to know and to execute his justice. Nothing will escape God. Every deed will be rewarded. The final imperative of the book of Ecclesiastes is this, the end of all matter, all that has been heard. Fear the Lord and keep keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. So, the preacher makes a confession. It's a bold confession. It's a confession that we embrace. We say along with the preacher, amen, God will bring justice. But what do we do as we wait for God's justice? Well, we are called to do justice. We are called to seek the good of our neighbor. We are called to help those who are in, right in front of us. We do good to those who are in our home. We do good to those who are in our church family. We do do good to those in our society. We do this knowing that even our very best efforts will fall short of bringing lasting and total justice because only when God brings his justice will justice ultimately and finally prevail. And that is exactly what Christ did. He was the good shepherd. He did good. Christ sought the good of for us, yet he was falsely accused and unjustly condemned. 1 Peter uh, 2.22 says, he committed no sin, neither deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continue entrusting him, To who? To the one who judges justly. And in that same chapter, Peter encourages and exhorts the Christians that we are to follow in Christ's footsteps. We are to follow our Savior. And as we follow our Savior, we earnestly, earnestly pray, your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done on earth. That is heaven and that's why we find in the final book of the bible the words that speak of god's judgment and say just are you O holy one who is and who was for you brought these judgments for they the wicked have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets and you have given them blood to drink it is what they deserve we can rest in God's providence because we know that justice will prevail. But you say, I get that. I see that justice will prevail. I understand that. But why does justice have to wait? Like, why not now? Why can't God start executing justice now? And sometimes we get a glimpse of that justice. Sometimes the boss is fired, who dealt unjustly. Uh, The politician is voted out of office. But we have this question, why not now? The preacher seems to anticipate this question, and that leads us to the next point. We rest on God's providence by having a proper view of ourselves and God. See, this is the conundrum. On the one hand, you have God, you have injustice in places where justice should be at. But on the other hand, you have God who is able to execute right judgment. And you ask, why does God not bring justice now? Why doesn't He alleviate the plight of the oppressed or rescue the abused and afflicted from evildoers? I remember. Time ago, talking to someone about, and he was telling me about a man who had imprisoned his daughter for 24 years and he treated her as his own sex slave. For 24 long years, he sexually exploited and abused his own daughter. For 24 long years, she lived confined to the basement of her own home, giving birth in that span to seven children in her captivity. And I remember the person asked me, why didn't God stop that? If God knows all things, why? The answer that the preacher gives us Is verse eighteen, second perception. I said in my heart, with with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. And you say, that's not the answer I want. That's not the answer that we want. The answer that we want is for God to somehow apologize for allowing things like this to happen the answer we want is for god to put be put on trial prosecuted and convicted for the neglect of his creation how dare he not watch over his own have you ever felt that way but not only that the answer that the preacher gives almost doesn't make sense is the preacher really saying that God allows injustice so just so that we can see that we are mere beasts? It's almost ridiculous if you look at it only from the vantage point of humanity until you have a conversation with Job. Job believed that he could prosecute God, and he thought that God was unjust in letting him endure what he endured. And Job challenged God to an answer. In the meet, all the while defending his own rectitude and justice. And God tells Job, pull yourself together, Job. Up on your feet, stand tall. I have some questions for you. I want some straight answers. Where were you? When I created the earth, tell me, since you know so much, who decided its size? Certainly you'll know that, Job. Who came up with the blueprints and measurements? And do you know or do you have any idea how large earth is? Speak up if you have even even the beginning of an answer. Do you know where light comes from and where darkness lives? so that you can take them by the hand and lead them home when they get lost? Why, of course you know that, Job, don't you? How about you? Do you know the answer to those questions? The preacher, just like in verse 17, is confessing that we know This truth about God, he knows that God is testing mankind in order that we may gain a proper perception of who we are in comparison to God. And the question that we have to answer, will we see ourselves as we are? Will we have a proper perception of we really are? When we come face to face with death. We see what, that what happens to us and to beasts is the same. And what the preacher is trying to communicate to us is that man and animal are mere creatures and nothing else. Yes, we are made in God's image, and humans have a rational soul, but just like the brute beast of the forest, we will die. And what that should do for us and bring a sense of sobriety is to bring a sense of humility. We don't have all the answers and we can't prosecute God who does have all the answers and we can't put him on trial. He knows all things, governs all things and is working out all things for his glory and our ultimate good. And we must Rest on that providence because that is what we have been given. Will we trust that? Will will we be okay with not receiving all the answers in this life? Will we face up against our finitude and mortality? doesn't matter how much our technology has advanced nor the development of new medicines and procedures. The reality is that death is the ultimate equalizer to which man has, is no match. The beasts of the field don't have our technology, they don't have our science, but they have the same breath and they have our same death. In verse 20, the preacher reaches back to Genesis. And reminds us of what God told Adam. You are from dust. Because you sin to dust, you will return. When we look at our world and we see all the injustice, it's easy to turn back and question God. And the preacher anticipating our pride, he doesn't let us go down that road too far. He says, do you see your limits? Do you know that you are a creature and not the creator? Do you perceive your proper place in the created order? Can can you in humility say, God knows all things. He understands all things. And I don't. Can you say with Joseph, what has been intended for my evil, God in his mercy and compassion turned it for my good. The preacher is not dismissing the plight. He is feeling what you're feeling. He is seeing and observing what you're observing, but he is also concluding, we are but mere beast. And it's to juxtapose us and the God of the universe. Look at what the preacher says in verse 21 Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? It's a question. He seems to be okay with not knowing all the answers. The question is Are you? Now we know that God has revealed more about the afterlife throughout the history of God's people. We know more about the future resurrection, but the preacher did not, and he was content with stating that fact. This response of humility by the preacher is the same response Job had after God questioned him. And Job said, I am convinced You can speak into God. I am convinced you can do anything and everything. Nothing and no one can upset your plans. I admit it. I babbled on about things far beyond me, and I made small talk about wonders way over my head. When you see injustice in this world and when you become frustrated with the difficulties that are brought about by those injustices, let us never forget that the greatest injustice ever committed was when Jewish priests and Roman guards executed the spotless lamb of God. Christ bore our sins and took our punishment so that we would not have to bear the holy and just wrath of God. But that came through acts of injustice and wickedness. This morning as you travel and sojourn through this difficult and momentary life with all the injustices and heartaches, you can rest on God's providence knowing that God is working out the secret plan. Justice might not be displayed here in our lifetime, but be assured justice is coming. God will bring everything to its rightful conclusion. We all might want justice swiftly and here and immediately, but just remember that if all justice was swift, we would not be here this morning because God would have judged us long ago. Do you want to be wise, Christian? Then let's rest on God's providence by having a proper view of your, ourselves and of God who is infinitely greater. You say, okay, I get it, but what do I do then? How do I cope with all the injustice and wickedness? That leads us to the preacher's last, to our last point and the preacher's last perception. And our last point is this we can rest on God's providence by enjoying our lot in this life and anticipating the life to come. Look at verse 22. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for this is his law. So you can pause and say, "What? Well, wait, you're telling me that the answer, the proper response to all the injustices in the world is to rejoice in your work. What about social justice? What about equity? What about weeding out racism and hatred? Well, what we have to say is addressing injustices is part of our duty. We are called to love our neighbor and not sit idly by. That is part of our task. But we must engage this work with a sense of being sober, because injustices will not be forever vanquished until the return of our Lord. Even Jesus enjoyed the perfume of the ointment rather than extinguish the plight of the poor. He was not dismissive of the poor because he served the poor and lived for their for their benefit. And there to help them in their plight. But he understood that it was not the time at that moment to execute justice on the world. This past week, I came across this letter from a mother who was corresponding with her grandfather. And I think it captures the point of what we see in the, this first part of verse 22. Listen, listen to the words that this mother writes to her grandfather. A lot has changed in the 84 years you've been here on this earth, huh? Long before refrigerator-freezer combos necessitated touchscreens, you anxiously waited for the Iceman to bump down the little dirt road, cut off a block for your mama, and trade you some good old polypop for a penny. You reminisce with me about the day electricity finally illuminated your two-room schoolhouse back when social networking was listening in on the party line and your Christmas morning consisted of fruit, nuts, and a new grass rope. We were just as happy as a hog in a slop, you would say. We didn't know we was poor. Everybody was just in the same shape, you tell me. I can hear you smile through the phone as you think back on the good old days. Now, as you sit and watch mainstream media each day, you can't help but lament over the world you are leaving to me. I beg you to turn off the TV. It's not that I don't see what you are seeing. It's just that I'm still seeing so so much good. Things may be going south in America. Okay, yes, I'll give you that. There are more genders than there used to be. Christians aren't so popular these days, I know, but there is still joy to be had, Daddy Dan, I say. Be not dismayed. No one can take away the spirit living inside us, the sustenance of God's word, the coolness of the grass on our feet, the beauty of our freshly fallen snow, a sweet, the sweet coos of a new baby, the warmth of the sun, the crackle of the fire, desserts not, are not going anywhere for a while nor is laughter among friends. Listen carefully to these last words. I beg you, don't spend your final days lamenting. Instead, give grandmother's hand a squeeze and thank her for putting up with you for 63 years. Enjoy a hamburger and a Coke with a friend up at the cafe, but on, be on the lookout for, for strangers and continue to land a helping hand where you can. Let the magnificence of our God meet you in the middle of a thunderstorm and consider that the same powerful, limitless God cares for little, oh, you. Stop fretting on how bad things are. Trust God. That is what this granddaughter was telling her grandfather. How can she have these words of assurance? Because she knows what will come after this life. Although verse 22 ends with a question of uncertainty, the preacher says, what can bring man to see what will happen after him? We as Christians don't have this uncertainty. Since Christ has been raised from among the dead, we can be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord... Our labor is not in vain. We can rest on God's providence by enjoying our lot in this life and anticipating the life to come. We will often be frustrated in this brief and momentary life, but our hope and confidence is that God governs all things with his sovereign hand, and we can rest in God's providence. And as the catechism says, the benefit of God's providence are that we can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father. That nothing in creation will separate us from his love, for all creatures are so completely in God's hand that without his will they can neither, neither move nor be moved. Rest in God's providence, for he cares for you as a father. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you because you show us through your word that you are a God who is utterly and ultimately reliable. There is nothing outside your control, and you govern all things for your glory and our good. Help us rest in that truth today. Through Christ we pray. Amen.